Prepare to hear the truth from a real whistleblower and American patriot. Here's civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and indefinitely suspended FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show for Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. In the United States of America, we have a constitutional republic. The Republic is organized under the Constitution of the United States of America. Many of you listening will have sworn allegiance to this country, probably growing up, and you've sworn allegiance to its flag. In fact, that Pledge of Allegiance and the Republic, this this whole process has been trending number one on iTunes this week. Our former president got together and recorded himself saying something so simple that grade school students used to say. But why is that Pledge of Allegiance, why is that the thing that is trending on iTunes? What what does it mean to people? I think it means that Americans are a bunch of people who believe in law and order. We're a bunch that decided generations ago that we want a structure and an order to our country and to our government. And that government would be limited in a dramatic fashion that was not common to nations at that time. It's limited in what it can do, but also it explains what you can do, which is all the things that it can't. The purpose of the American Constitution is to organize and lay out the limited powers of government. And the first deal that was struck in order to make this government become a reality was a limit a Bill of Rights which expressly forbade the U.S. government from infringing on the rights that our founding generation cared about so much themselves. These patriots were the original civil liberties enthusiasts. In fact, my father made fun of the fact that that was in my Twitter bio. Who isn't a civil liberties enthusiast was his question. Well, apparently a lot of people. And the reason that this is all so important is when we put someone into the office of the presidency, We do not elect a king. We're going to talk about that pretty extensively. Uh, We're going to get into a bunch of other things as well today. We're going to be talking about why that that person that we put in office doesn't get to make decisions unilaterally about our gun rights, about what our children can do, the the dangers of going on and having that person engage in foreign uh, policy that is outside the range of the constitutional powers. We're going to talk about what happened with the Russian fighter jet. couple of other little stories here, and then maybe what we're looking at with the uh, the Chinese situation. Like apparently this president has decided to put us into the uh, crosshairs of at least three wars right now that we are looking down the, um, one is a proxy war, the other would be too direct. I want to talk about those, what they mean, but we're speaking about the original patriots in this country, the people that helped found our nation and what it meant. Um, I'm going to bring up our first sponsor. This is the sponsor of today's show. It's brought to you by Patriot Coolers, which you can find at patriotcoolersplural.com. So every single police officer, every single criminal investigator will tell you that one of the most important tools that you can have on surveillance is a radio, hands down. Communication is key. The second most important thing you can have is your cup for coffee. Um, I've got mine for the show right now. There it is. This is one of the new Patriot tumblers they sent me. It actually has a really nice feel to it. It's uh, not one that I'd used previously, but what I did have when I joined the Washington Field Office Special Operations Group, which was the, the FBI surveillance team in DC, 
I had my first Patriot Coolers Tumbler. It looks like this. Here it is. You may have even seen me using this on the show previously. Uh, this is the 1.0 version. They've they've redefined it. They've given me a different one here, so I can kind of see what this one looks like. These ones have the uh, color going all the way to the top, but uh, same basic idea. They've got this 13 stripes down here to represent the 13 stripes on our flag. They've got 50 stars on the bottom, which you probably can even see on this one now. I can turn it up. There it is. It's a little bit of scuff. No worse for the wear. I bought this in October of 2017. So this thing has been running with me for over five years at this point and uh, still going strong. The 1.0 version, which you can still order these tops, has a big hole in the middle. You can actually pull out the uh, spill resistant, which I did, and it allows you to put a big silicon straw in there, which you can buy for cheap on Amazon. I would put smoothies on there and roll them all day long. Sometimes if you're not going to eat for, uh, for you know eight hours or so, nine hours sitting in a car, this was the move that I would have, and I'd have a different mug for coffee, or I'd have a big thermos. But uh, nothing better than having your meal stay cold for eight plus hours while you were sitting in there first thing in the morning, bringing it along with you. Uh, check out Patriot Coolers. As you can see over here on our, our little webpage display, they've got hard-sided coolers. They've got soft-sided coolers. The soft-sided one, the 34 can, is like 125 bucks, something like that. Um, you can check those suckers out and get... 10% off plus free shipping with promo code Kyle. K-Y-L-E will get you 10% off these things. These guys are uh, equivalent, I would say, to anybody else in the market that's making these rotomoted style coolers. They keep ice for days and days. You've seen them with uh, other you know big brands. This one, Patriot Coolers, not only is sponsoring the Kyle Serafin Show, but they also give back to veterans. They help uh, with a charity that helps refinish post 9-11 veterans that have had significant injuries to refit their homes so they can uh, live in them more comfortably. So that's a great cause. You're supporting our show. Um, this is a, a brand that believes in this country straight out of Houston, Texas. So give them a look. And if you're in the market for either a tumbler or a hard-sided or a soft-sided cooler, they've got some hats and merch and things like that. Dude, check them out. Good brand, good people. And they support the Kyle Serafin Show. We appreciate you supporting them. All right. So Let's dig into what we believe, what we know is the rule in this country, the United States Constitution. I want to read pieces because we don't often talk about what are the nuts and bolts of this. People say, well, I believe in the Constitution. Maybe you do. How many of you have read the Constitution recently? Now, there's going to be a small percentage of my listeners that obviously have done this because uh, you're that person, and I appreciate that you're out there. You are the minority. Most people believe in the Constitution, but the things that they remember are the Bill of Rights. That's that's good. Those are the amendments. Let's talk about the order in which things were put together in the U.S. Constitution, because if you don't understand what the order of operations looks like, how can you how can you rightly get involved and uh, and try to fight for what it actually means? So I'm going to read the preamble, and then we're going to discuss the two first articles, okay? The preamble says, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. This was a revolutionary statement at that time. The things that the, the, the founders of our Constitution laid out as the most important parts, the most important parts of what the government's job is to do, are as follows. A more perfect union. That's part one. 
a more perfect union of the states that were out there, which were operating uh, on their own. And they were, they were not aligned in a meaningful way under the, um, under the previous Articles of Confederation. We want to establish justice. Okay, so there's a justice component. This is going to be your law and order. This is going to be your uh, federal abilities to uh, to adjudicate crimes and punishments and things along this nature. They want to ensure domestic tranquility. That might be something that we'd have to dig into at another time. I feel like there's probably an entire podcast on domestic tranquility and what that means. Provide for the common defense has always been established as uh, the, the militias, the ability to have a commander-in-chief, the ability to have a centralized and unified uh, response to foreign invasion and so on, so common defense. Promote the general welfare. That one might be the one of the, the things that has really come after us and has led to the administrative state that we see and then secure the blessings of liberty on ourselves and our posterity. The the blessings of liberty I think are really the most important thing that uh, are at the end of this. And so we'll have to we'll have to get some some deeper dives. Maybe we'll get a constitutional expert to say what these things meant and why they were in that order. But when we move down to the first article, it's really important that the first thing that was addressed, the first topic addressed, Article 1, Section 1. And I quote, all legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and House of Representatives. All right. Article 1, Section 1 establishes the Congress. This is the first branch. There's a reason why it's the first branch. I believe that our founders thought this was the most important thing to establish, the group that wrote the laws. And yet, we have fallen into a tendency that people always do which is to try to get one person, one man, one woman, whoever this thing is, whatever whatever entity occupies an executive space, to take over. Uh, this has been the commonality, the strongman theory, the warlord theory, the uh, the king, the ruler, the Caesar. It doesn't matter. Whenever, whenever the republic begins to fail, when uh, democratic process and the ability to debate and uh, do the difficult work of legislation fails, we end up with totalitarians. That's what the king does. That's what a king does. So the number one thing that the uh, the founders wanted was a legislative branch. Article 2, Section 1 defines the powers of the presidency, and I want to discuss those very specifically. Article 2, Section 1. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of four years, and together with the vice president, chosen for the same term, be elected as follows. Okay, there's a whole list of the things that need to be done for that. That's actually not really important for our purposes at this particular moment. Uh, It follows up that it says, Before he enter on the execution of his office, he shall take the following oath or affirmation. And I quote, I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of the president of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So people who have not listened to the oath of office, if you've never been to an inauguration, if you've never watched one, it's really important what they say they will do. To the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. I think that we are now in a place where that is not happening. The president may be saying those words, but like my buddy Steve Friend likes to add, these are a check mark. This is the uh, I accept on the iOS terms of service agreement and not something that someone is really considering that they will preserve 
Preserved means to uh, to leave unchanged. And yet what we have right now is an executive that has for a number of years, this, this goes before even President Trump, obviously, we've had a probably 50 to 70 year increase in the power of the executive to a point where they are doing things that was never intended because Americans, like all people, tend towards wanting someone to take responsibility and do the thing for them. Do something. Make it better. And uh, and our presidents have, have obliged by taking on more and more power and usurping the Article 1, Section 1 powers that should be uh, left to the legislature. Article 2, Section 2. This one is easy to remember. 2-2. Two, two. So down in the section second article, we learn what the, the actual powers shall be. And I'm going to read them because I think they're relevant. And then we're going to discuss in long form, including some of the decisions made very recently uh, on gun control, on transing the kids, and so on. The president shall be the commander in chief of the army and the navy of the United States and of the militia of several states when called into the actual service of the United States. He may require the opinion in writing of the principal officer of each of the executive departments upon any subject relating to the duties of their respective offices, and he shall have the power to grant reprieves and pardons for offenses against the United States, except in cases of impeachment. All right. He shall have the power by and with the advice and consent of the Senate. This is the confirmation hearings that we have. Okay. This is where it comes from. And uh, to make treaties uh, provided two-thirds of the Senate present occurs. Okay. So he has to have a quorum and he can make these these uh, treaties with other foreign nations. This is going to come into to play when we talk about the one China policy, uh, as long as that uh, the Senate approves it in the two thirds. So they have to confirm what the president says. This is the vote. And then with the uh, by and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint ambassadors. So once again, this is our uh, our foreign policy setups, other public ministers and councils, judges of the Supreme Court and other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for, because there are some that are provided for in the Constitution, and which shall be established by law. But the Congress may by law vest the appointment of such inferior officers as they think proper in the president alone, in the courts of law, or in the heads of department. So this is where I think the administrative state sort of has its its uh, nascent form. The president shall have the power to fill up vacancies, which may happen during the recess of the Senate by granting commissions, which shall expire at the end of the next session. Okay, Article 2, Section 2 lays out the powers of the executive. Nothing in there says anything about granting or making laws. Nothing in there states they should be able to rule by fiat. This is the old uh, Barack Obama time, the, uh, the the pen and a phone thing. This is not This is not written into the Constitution. And this is the danger. So why am I talking about all this stuff today? Why today of all days? Uh, today, it's a concern of mine because yesterday, our president, Joe Biden, has decided to release his do something attitude. This is a fact sheet. And it says, President Biden announces new actions to reduce gun violence and make our communities safer. Now, I don't know if you were listening to Article 2, Section 2, but nothing in there says that he can reduce gun violence or call out dramatic actions. There's nothing in there that says that he may execute actions to make our community safer. 
whatever he believes that means. This is not a presidential power. I'm going to go through what this guy said he's going to do. Uh, I'm going to just skim through some of these things. But the essential attempt of this uh, announcement is that they are going to release an executive order, which I guess we'll see shortly, that will have an increase in federal background checks. That's weird, because that seems like a legislative power. Um, and they've actually stated that they are going to move the United States as close to universal background checks as possible without adding additional legislation. This should be massive pause and should cause a significant amount of concern for citizens of this country. Citizens, not subjects. This is not a king. The king does not get to go out and tell people that there will now be more background checks. It says the executive order will keep more guns out of dangerous hands by increasing the effective use of red flag laws. Well, if you listen to our Monday show, and if you haven't, get to it, put it on your list, listen to it sometime this week. Red flag laws were what they used to pull the guns and to take the freedom from Alfredo Luna, also known as Alpha Warrior, who has a wonderful show and is a really, really nice man and is not a threat to this republic, nor to himself. They took his guns, a police officer who has done significant work in his small town to reduce actually dangerous people from being able to come after the regular citizens who simply want to enjoy the uh, the blessings of liberty that this country promises them. That's a big problem for me. I don't want to know that our federal government is going to take unilateral action under the executive branch, which does not have the authority to do so, to go after the guns of cops or anyone else for that matter. They can't come after mine. They shouldn't be coming after yours. Red flag laws are an infringement on our freedoms because they are not in a, a judicial process. They, they immediately usurp the due process clause that we had in the Bill of Rights, letting us know that we have the due process before they remove us of our property and guns are property. They are tools. They are not inanimate objects that also have a personality and decide to go out and commit mass shootings. That's a, that's a people thing. And whenever I get into a gun control debate with people who are progressives or liberals or whatever you want to call them or true leftists, authoritarians, um, it stops usually immediately because what I tell them is they don't know enough to have an argument with someone like me about firearms, period. They don't understand the machine. They don't understand the mechanics. They don't understand what they do, what they don't do, how they operate, how they are named. Um, many of you can see that if you're watching on our Rumble channel, I have a, an AR-15 behind me. It's a Geisley Automatics. At least that's how it started. Um, it's got some additional parts on there that I've put. I know the name and manufacturer of almost every part and manufacturer of each of the individual small parts on there, going down to the roll pins, because I care, because this is my tool, and uh, and I built it the way that I wanted it. I chose almost all of the things on there on purpose, and I chose the manufacturer because I like the way they source their materials. This is a thing I care about deeply, and when the president's going to go out there and come after it, trying to say that they're going to help identify uh, and apprehend shooters that menace our society. This is a direct quote. It's going to accelerate law enforcement efforts to identify and apprehend shooters. Why? What does an additional background check do to anybody? Our background check system is fine. In fact, historically, for most of this country, you could buy firearms through the mail system. You could have them shipped directly to your house. And the system of going to a gun store and going to a federally uh, licensed firearm dealer, that's new. It's new in this country compared to what it's been historically. So very strange. 
And of course, they're using a tragedy because that's the nature of how things work here. Uh, the Biden administration is going to be using this tragedy, which is the Monterey Park shooting. It's going to go and grieve with the 11 lives that lost and family members that happened in January. So we're now already two months out, but we're still going to play off a tragedy there. And he's going to announce that uh, they're going to limit gun violence. They're going to stop human nature to cause violence to each other because the president said so. And once again, he's going to go after the things that do not cause violence. In fact, they are not even responsible for the actions, nor they act, they, they're not even complicit in the actions um, that kill most people in this, this country. If we're being honest, handguns are the things that are used to kill people. And I'm talking about homicides here. I'm not talking about suicides, which constitute two-thirds of the so-called gun deaths in this country. This is one of those topics where they will give you a number, 30,000, 35,000, whatever the number may be. And two-thirds of those numbers are bloated because they are a choice that someone made to take their own life, which is, of course, atrocious. But that's a mental health issue. It's a desperation issue, sometimes a financial issue. And it is not about guns. People have been taking their own life for a very long time whether it be hanging or throwing themselves from something, whether it be jumping into cold waters. Um, when I was at the Academy at Quantico, my recruiter from the Air Force actually uh, drank a bottle, walked into the waves. And he was a person that was capable of extreme violence, a special operator who uh, went into theater multiple times, had a brother that died overseas, and uh, he didn't take it well and eventually you know, lost his own life to a mental health battle, didn't need a gun spent all of his time around explosives and guns. Worth noting. This uh, this president wants to stop things by... These are some of the things that drive me insane. They've created a, a whole host of made-up problems, and then they batter them down. This is the straw man argument. So here he goes. Again and again, he called for Congress to act, banning assault weapons. I don't need to get into it on this show. Um, there's no such thing as an assault weapon. I guess a weapon that assaults somebody, maybe... But the, uh, the legal definition of this thing is just a bunch of arbitrary features that has nothing to do with the capability of a weapon. Uh, this is something we've known going back to the original assault weapons band uh, that happened in the 90s when you could own a Ruger Mini-14, but you couldn't own an AR-15. And functionally, the engines and the, uh, and the uh, ammunition of these two weapon systems were the same. They stripped out of a magazine, they rechambered it at the same speed, and... The Mini-14 was used very effectively in the Miami shootout that the FBI engaged in in 1986. Worth noting. They also have this big thing with the high-capacity magazines. Um, so here's, a, here's an interesting anecdote. When I was working on surveillance, we had a case assigned to us, which was a, a number of armored car robbers. And and they were actually kind of funny. So uh, they they popped in. We, we saw video from the back of one of these armored trucks, like a Lewis armored truck or something, picked up. A bunch of cash i think it was a 7-eleven drop or something like that and so the guy basically waited for the guys there were multiple i think there were maybe three or four crappy part of town southeast dc on the line with maryland and uh fort washington area if you know the dc uh, the southern side of dc so we've got this this dude he comes out of his car he would jump out he would stick an ar-15 in this guy's face um the guy being the person that's handling the bag get the bag of cash and then rolled out. And it was very, very fast. 15, 18 seconds and gone. Um, the thing that was really notable to me, which is why I thought they'd be easier to catch. First of all, they were dumb. The first time they grabbed like $125,000 in cash, which is shocking. 
and so much more effective than robbing a bank where you get a few thousand dollars. Same kind of crime, same kind of uh, risk when it comes to prosecution, but significant payoff. And then the second time they did it, they got an empty bag because they got greedy and they weren't watching as well. And then, um, the you know, the, uh, <laughs> the guy hadn't even filled up the truck yet with cash. So rolled off with an empty bag, threw it off in the thing. They did this three or four times. It was always the same mechanism. This person used an old school... Um, what's called uh, the the delta grips or the uh, what do you call it the plastic grips on the foregrip it wasn't like one of these newer modern rifles it had a um, an a-frame up in the front the uh, triangle post front sight um, fixed front sight and like a 20 inch barrel which if you're used to seeing some of the newer more modern 16 inches and 14 and a half and so on this ar-15 had a very long barrel comparatively and was carrying something that i thought was really amusing it had a 100 round beta magazine b-e-t-a beta magazine and those have these like spirals on the outside of it so it comes down out of the magazine well it goes off to the left into a big circle goes off to the right into a big circle and i've never owned one but i have shot them and they jam up regularly it's not a good mechanism so this is the the so-called dangerous high capacity magazine this is why it's so funny to me and i made a comment to my team at the time i would much rather so much rather have 10 10 round magazines for my AR-15 if I was serious about getting into a shooting then have one 100 round beta magazine. Number one, it is heavy as hell. You are carrying around 100 rounds stuffed into your gun. That's absurd. 30 is plenty. Um, 40 is a lot. These 60 round drums you've seen in some movies are, are 60 round um, surefire mags where they're double-sided. Very heavy. Okay, They just add a lot of weight and, the, and they reduce the maneuverability of that, that weapon system. And the second thing is if they jam. And the reliability of feeding 100 rounds is not very good. 30 rounds is not high capacity. It's a standard capacity. It's the capacity that comes with the weapon system. It's used by every single law enforcement agency and all of the United States military. That's what you put in an AR-15. This is what you put in a semi-automatic rifle. That's just been the standard. I don't know why people think that's a thing they can say with impunity, but there's no high capacity about it. 60 is high capacity, 100 is high capacity. And honestly, if you ban those, it would change nothing. And if you ban the other magazines, there are hundreds of millions of magazines in circulation in this country. And they don't have a manufacture date and they don't have a serial number. There's no way to tell when they were made. This is a ridiculous idea that they're going to go out there. The only way they can get rid of them is claiming that all of them are illegal. And that actually might uh, spark something really nasty they don't want to deal with. They're going to require background checks for all gun sales. You can't do that. Here's why. There's no enforcement mechanism. You are giving the, the federal government and you're probably giving state and local law enforcement a mandate they cannot keep. If I were to go and give a gun to a neighbor, who's going to stop me? And who's going to say when that changed hands? It's a piece of property. It doesn't have a tracking device on it. It doesn't have a homing device. There's no way that we could fingerprint it over. It doesn't matter. It's just a single inanimate piece of metal that I'm going to hand to someone else who's going to do whatever they're going to do with it. And uh, the fact that I was the original buyer of it, or maybe I wasn't, maybe I bought it from somebody else already. These things have changed hands. These are durable goods. I've got rifles in my safe right now that were made in 1917 for World War I. I've got a shotgun that was made in 1868 that we inherited. It's still functional. It's a 12-gauge shotgun made by the Colt, the Colt Firearms Company. These things can be around for a very long time in excess of 100 years, certainly longer than a human life. 
and you can get handguns, rifles, shotguns, all kinds of things that have been around that long. This is ridiculous stuff. But the other thing is, is that you know they're just making things up when they say they're going to require safe storage of firearms. That means they're just going to punish you if they choose to punish you, if they've targeted you. This is the real problem. It's giving the government more access to come after you. And the king doesn't get to say that because we don't have a king. Um, they're going to close. This is my, I read this to my wife and I was, I'm just shocked that anybody so stupid would write this. They're going to close the dating violence restraining order loophole. I don't even know where they come up with this stuff at this point. They're just literally making things up out of whole cloth. And then they're going to repeal gun manufacturers immunity from liability. Well, start there and then go after cars for drunk drivers and then go after any device that somebody buys and then misuses. This is absurd. If the weapon is misused, it's the fault of the user. If the weapon fails, then they then the manufacturer has liability. If if the weapon system has a faulty you know, um, upper receiver or a slide or a barrel that is outside of spec because the metallurgy is improperly done and the, the quality control is not checked and the weapon explodes in your hands. Like you can sue the manufacturer, but you can't sue the manufacturer for the weapon working the way that it was designed because somebody is an a-hole and decides to do something stupid. So anyway, they're going to do these things. These are the, the priorities of this, uh, this president King that we have that believes that he has all these things. They're going to uh, keep dangerous uh, guns out of dangerous hands, which is going to be the universal background check. No effect, totally absurd. Doesn't work in places where it exists. People get guns because there are a bunch of guns. There's 400 million in this country from what they say. Um, I don't know who owns the other 399 million of them, but, uh, they're out there. You all have them good for you. Um, and I've got the ones I've got. They're going to improve public awareness and the appropriate use of extreme risk protection. Extreme risk. Is this the same as extreme MAGA? My friends were called extreme MAGA operatives. If you're an extreme MAGA operative, are you also an extreme risk? And how far can we classify these things? They're talking about how 19 different states have red flag laws. I think they should all go away. Red flag laws do not save lives. This is absurd stuff. What they do is infringe on Americans' rights. You want to stop somebody from doing something um, go live in communist China where they have the authority to do that, where they do elect a king and that king can do whatever he wants. Um, they're going to address the, the loss and theft of firearms during shipment. Really? Like, is that a problem that's happening right now? There's a 250% increase in lost or stolen firearms as reported between the shipments. Okay. Um, why is that the federal government's problem? What does that have to do with the federal government? Are they losing tax revenue? Because they're talking about the BATF going in and dealing with it. The ATF was a tax organization until the 90s when they decided to go and attack Waco and uh, get themselves involved in Ruby Ridge. And then somehow they managed to get themselves under the uh, Justice Department during that time. And they almost went away. They almost disappeared because they're an agency without a real mission set. Their mission set is owned by everybody else except taxes, except the tax collection, which is their thing that they do the least well. They're happy to take your money, but they don't give out the stamp that you're that you're paying for. So... If you've never had to buy an ATF tax stamp for a suppressor, or a machine gun, or a short barrel rifle, you don't know what I'm talking about, but it's awful. They are an awful, an awful organization that promises 90 days and everybody is happy they deliver it in nine months. Like they're literally 300% slower than they should be. And that's, that's good because it used to be that it would be two years and maybe a year. Like this is just, just a terrible organization. I've waited for them to, to do their jobs multiple times. They said they're going to hold the gun industry, uh, the gun manufacturers accountable. This is that statement about holding them liable. It's so bizarre. And then this is something that's really, really should trouble you because the president does have the ability to, to control the Department of Defense. It says they're going to use the De Department of Defense acquisition of firearms to further firearms and public safety practices. Because the DOD buys a large number of guns and other weapons, 
Um, they're going to use that to try to serve our country by buying all the guns. Um, this is something we're going to have to get uh, a little bit more information on. Here's what I'm going to promise you. Uh, our friend, my friend, Steven Stambalia, the, the machine gun lawyer, who we did a, a long-form interview with, this is his wheelhouse. I actually texted him yesterday, end of the day, and asked him if he'd be willing to come on the show and um, consider discussing this. He said he hadn't read the letter or the uh, the EO yet, and it looks like it hasn't been codified. This is their announcement of what's going to be in it. When it comes out, if it's uh, this week, we'll get him on. If it's uh, next week or the week after, we'll get him on. We'll read it, and we'll do maybe 10 minutes where I just Q&A. What are the things to take away? What are the things we can do for ourselves? And um, and here's that Patriot Cooler. So we'll get Stephen on to discuss it and break it down. I think it's important stuff. But this is a massive amount of overreach. It's a thing that we should be really concerned about. And uh, all of us should be concerned because this is not the this is not how it's supposed to work. This is not a power that is given to the president. OK, um, I'm going to move on to this thing about he's starting. He's talking about transing the kids uh, and we can't. We can't talk about that without hearing his own words, so let's hear the man say it. This is, again, like I said, the issue of a man believing that he is, in fact, a king. And now he's going to give you what the king used to do, which is the morals. This is the values of our country. This guy's going to say this. So stand by for for President Biden's take on trans transgender kids. And these things always stall out on me. Stand by. Here we go. Transgender kids is a really harder thing. What's going on in Florida is, as my mother would say, close to sinful. I mean, it's just terrible what they're doing. It's not like, you know, a kid wakes up one morning and says, you know, I decided I want to become a man or I want to become a woman or I want to change. I mean, what, 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 what are they thinking about here? They're human beings. They love, they have feelings, they have inclinations that are, I mean, it, it just to me is, I don't know, it's cruel. And the way we do it is we make sure we pass legislation like we passed on same-sex marriage. You mess with that, you're breaking the law, and you're gonna be held accountable. But transgender kids is a really harder ding. It's a harder ding. Uh, one, we can all kind of agree that the Biden is falling apart when it comes to his ability to communicate. His age is obviously a problem. He is not nearly as slick as he thinks that he is. And now he's this old feeling man talking about things he doesn't understand at all, nor does he have any business in getting involved in. Uh, the transgender issue is one of those deals where it's probably outside of my wheelhouse as a former FBI agent, but it is right inside my wheelhouse as a parent and as a husband, as someone who is a Catholic as someone who cares about children deeply, I really do. I think the only reason that we have our country, the securing the blessings of liberty, it's literally in that preamble for our posterity. That's our children. That's the people that follow us. It is the reason why we have established government, and it is to stay the heck out of this business. Why the old, doddering, barely functional president of the United States wants to get out there and tell us what our morals are, this is not his job. It has nowhere in there. It's not an Article 2, Section 2 power under the Constitution. It's one old guy's opinion. Thanks so much, Joe. Why don't you stuff it? This is the same guy that I, I watched some other piece where he was talking about how, you know, many years ago when he was a child, he's driving with his dad. So that's got to be what, like 70 years ago, maybe? 68 years ago, he's driving with his dad and watched two men kissing? I don't think so. Not in this country. 
That wasn't the thing that got done. They were well-dressed men in suits and all this other nonsense. And many of you have probably heard these stories. The guy cannot help but lie. And moreover, this is one of those dangers where he just, he's going to get out there and share with you things that are not true. They are not accurate. They don't make any damn sense. And uh, and in this case, there's nothing, you know, what what's going on in Florida is the process where the state is allowed to make its own decisions. They have elected representatives. They have their own executive who's going to be able to do what they want. And uh, Joe Biden's, you know, almost sinful situation. It's a moral judgment that is outside the parameters of his office because we do not elect this person as a king. But what we did do was pass the administrative services. Sorry, I always say the administrative services. It's actually called the Administrative Procedures Act. I want to pull this up. Uh, it's worth a read on Wikipedia if you ever want to get into there. This is um, this is the, the 5 USC. This is Title V of the United States Code. And what it did was under Truman, it allowed executive agencies to propose and establish regulations and grant the federal courts oversight over these executive agencies. The executive agencies exist under, uh, they call them under uh, independent agencies and federal executive agencies, but they answer to the president. These are the pieces under the cabinet that uh, they have basically subjugated the, or they have delegated the powers of those legislature in many, many broad and wide-reaching facets over to the president. And this is how we ended up with someone who thinks that they're a king. This has been a slow creep since 1946 when this was passed and instituted in law. And it was a, an attempt at probably streamlining an otherwise out-of-control government at that time. And now we have something that you probably couldn't ever dismantle. It's so big. Uh, apparently, it was instituted after a 10-year painstaking detailed study showing that uh, all these problems existed and how do we streamline government and make it functional? And the answer is you just cut it. You get rid of it. You can't actually do that. But unfortunately, the basics of this proposed um, legislation don't necessarily do what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to maintain a, a very important separation of powers. Article 1, Section 1. There is a Congress. The Congress is, the, is supposed to be the primary of, of three equal, co-equal branches. And instead... What we got is a president that is now very, very top-heavy on the power structure. So the basic purposes of the Administrative Procedures Act of 1946, which has been updated a number of times, um, is as follows. Number one, it's to require agencies to keep public the public informed of their organization, procedures, and rules. Look at that that being the first and most primary rule that the, or um, purpose of the APA. It's to keep the public informed of what the agency does and what their procedures and their rules are. Not to create rules that go out there and uh, and legislate without having the authority. But that is what goes on right now. So that's number one. Number two, to provide for public participation in the rulemaking process through public commenting. The ability of the public to weigh in on whether a proposed rule is appropriate or not is the number two priority, second only to keeping the public informed as to what these are. Now, that is not the way it works. If you've been watching the way things like the ATF, and those are the ones that I'm most familiar with because I despise the ATF the most, but the ATF does this thing where they uh, are basically constantly trying to sneak one by the goalie, I guess, is the only way you could explain it. They are constantly trying to pass um, rules that get interpreted as law that would otherwise never go anywhere. And uh, they can't get through Congress, so they try to expand through these rulemaking procedures the ability of the agency to enforce things that that suit the political whim, basically of the left only in the case of the ATF. 
Um, but the EPA is another one. There's, these these rules about uh, you know stoves and whether or not you should be having coffee and like other ridiculous things that have no business being inside the executive. These are where they come from. They come from the APA um, under five USC. So they define all kinds of different stuff in here. I'm gonna do number three because there's exactly four. There's exactly four purposes listed. This uh, Wikipedia page is a one-page read. You could do it in 15 minutes and have a much better understanding of the origins of the administrative state. I think it's worth your time. So number three is establish uniform standards for the conduct of formal rulemaking processes and adjudication. Um, every single executive agency does something to make rules, they all kind of follow the same template. They propose a rule, they put it out for public comment. You can go online now and you can say, this sucks, or this is wonderful, or thank God you're gonna trans the kids, or you know, please take all the guns away because they're dangerous and I'm scared of them and I don't understand my rights and I wanna get rid of them, these kind of things. So a public comment happens and then at the end of it, they're supposed to adjudicate and then do this uh, uniform standard for formal rulemaking and they adjudicate whether or not they're going to actually go through it. Sometimes there's review and then there's a scope of judicial review. That's the fourth premise of this particular bill. It scopes out how the, ju the judiciary is going to review the rules and the procedures that have been you know, enacted by said administrative agency. That's what it's supposed to do. What it does in reality is it subjugates everybody else to the executive by allowing the executive to take broad and massive overreach in defining what is and what is not uh, in their own wheelhouse. They literally get to write what they're interested in and they run it the way they like. Very scary stuff. And it leads to stupidity. It leads to stupidity because we don't have Congress writing the laws that govern us. What we have are these unelected bureaucrats who move into the SES, the, the Senior Executive Service, who are the most tenured people in the federal government. These are your people like Fauci. These are people like the Deputy Director of the FBI, people that have been there the longest, have the most administrative rot, don't necessarily have the highest qualifications. For example, and, and this is my personal beef, but the, uh, the FBI's Human Resources Executive Assistant Director is a woman named Jennifer Moore. I've published her emails if you ever wanted to read those and see how dumb it is that somebody that's out there. Like, what's her background in human resources? It's none. She has no special training in human resources. She's not a good manager. She's actually kind of a moron. So you've got this person who is not smart um, when it comes to the, the, the core features of what her job are. So she makes all these really dangerous moves. But uh, unfortunately, because the executive is able to basically administrate itself, because of the APA, they get away with all kinds of stuff, including violations of law. People are like, well, how come you're not permit protected under a whistleblower protection act? It's like, well, it exists. It's also under title five, five USC 2302 and 2303 cover the entire federal government for whistleblower protections, including the FBI. And yet there's no teeth in it. There's no one to administrate it because it's administrated by the executive and the executive is down with what they're doing right now. Uh, very dangerous stuff. Very frustrating. And it leads to incompetence in different places. Uh, one of those things I'm going to tie in real quick. Uh, this is from the Daily Wire. I wanted to send this over. I, I read a bunch of different sources, but uh, sometimes one uh, strikes me better than others. I've got uh, a couple we'll run through here. Just, just incompetence in general and some general thoughts about what's going on in this week. Some of them are tied to this and some are not. Uh, we're going to cover this. The Russian fighter jet uh, collides with the Reaper drone. They've got a picture of the Reaper drone. If you're watching uh, on our uh, Rumble, you can see that, obviously. If you're listening, it says two Russian fighters were reportedly harassing a U.S. military drone over international waters on Tuesday when one of the fighters collided with the drone, forcing it to stop. So the way the drone is set up, it has this big phallic uh, sort of just 
you know, bulbous head. And then it's got a, a rear mounted wings that kick out about two thirds of the way back on the body with this X shape, uh, tail fins. And then behind the tail fins is this big propeller. And that's how this thing flies around It has a rear mounted propeller because it's not a manned drone. There's no human being in there. You don't have to have a cockpit. So they load the front end heavy with sensors. It's got, you know, three wheels to land it and take off and so on. And they can arm it with different uh, packages on the wingspan. But the uh, the rear mounted propeller is what keeps this thing up in the air aloft. And it's, you know, this ultralight kind of cool frame looking thing. Uh, apparently what these fighters did is they were flying around and they were dumping fuel on them, which somebody online was laughing about. You know, they essentially got pissed on and then got hit. Um, which is ridiculous, but funny. Um, the 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 tail was what got got tapped. It was the propeller apparently got clipped by this uh, this aircraft. But I, this is what's really telling. This is a they claim thirty two million dollar. I've seen estimates of fifty five million dollar, depending on the electronics package. So a fairly expensive piece of equipment for military standards. Uh, certainly not something we want to just ditch and drop to the ground. The, uh, the Russian fighters were uh, Su-27s. Apparently, there were two of them flying. I learned something kind of interesting from folks that used to fly with the Russians when they would go around to air shows. And apparently, the only way that the Russians were able to actually stay in the air during the non-war eras after the Cold War was by flying these air shows. And they were so humiliated by having to put on these kind of things because the only way that they were able to get time in the air to pay for the fuel and training and stuff, uh, apparently they were drunk on a regular basis. And I've heard a lot of stories from guys, both in the Navy and the Air Force, flying and knowing Russian pilots that were drinking heavily while flying. So this could have been a drunken joke. I think it's worth noting that uh, some of the the really dangerous things that have happened and and some of the close calls that happened during the Cold War were because of intoxicated pilots. Interesting to note, it's a culture thing um, when you're already kind of like a high risk uh, daredevil type guy flying fighter jets and this kind of deal. Maybe we'll get Kreider to come on and talk about this. Our former guest, um, Sheriff Mark Kreider, was a uh, a Rio a backseater for uh, F-14 Tomcats at the you know sort of the end of the Cold War. So that might be fun. He literally was uh, at Top Gun when Top Gun came out is what he explained it. So we'll, maybe we'll have him come on and talk about R- Russian fighter jet culture. I don't know if it just might just be a fun conversation to have. But uh, in any case, that's what happened here. We'll get his take on it, maybe if that makes sense. But uh, essentially, knock this uh, $55 million, maybe a $30 million, depending on what your estimates are. I love how we don't actually know what these things cost, but that's another part of the administrative issue that they, they want to you know, they're responsible for releasing this transparency and and the default is not transparency. Here's what I thought was really wild. It's been commented on online, but um, the thing, the response by, this is by Air Force General James B. Hecker. He's the commander of U.S. Air Force Europe and, um, and Air Force Africa. This is his response about what happened. Our MQ-9 aircraft was conducting routine operations in international airspace. I've also been told um, that the transponder may have been turned off, which could have made it harder to identify where it was. And if they were harassing it and and dumping fuel on it, then they knew where it was. Um, When it was intercepted and hit by a Russian aircraft, resulting in a crash and the complete loss of the MQ-9, in fact, this unsafe and unprofessional act by the Russians nearly caused uh, both aircrafts to crash. Where's the uh, little funny thing in here? They mentioned the fact that it was uh, ec- it was uh, environmentally unsound practices. This may be something in a different, longer form of the statement. <laughs> they mentioned because they dumped fuel that it was environmentally unsound and therefore unprofessional. It's just, it's a clown show. 
when you have these kind of people saying these kind of de- things about something that's so serious as losing losing a, a $55 million aircraft or a $30 million aircraft. It doesn't really matter how much it costs. Like, what do you mean it was environmentally unsound? Like, what, what does that come into it? It was an act of aggression against one of our items. Either we were allowed to be there or we weren't. That's the only thing that matters. And then what are we going to do about it? That's not the seriousness of this nation. Um, regarding the the problem of this escalation. So we, we ta- said earlier that we are basically looking down at three wars, obviously the Ukrainian war that is going on that we are trying to find ourselves in, not we, but the king, this elected representative and, and a number of people that are following in suit because they all want to do the thing the man says. Um, that's, that's our proxy war. And that would lead to potentially two other wars that we have that are kind of brewing. And I don't want any either. I don't want any of them to happen at all. I don't want our country to go to war right now. Um, we just pulled ourselves out of the longest one in a very disastrous fashion. And um, we're not good at getting out of wars, it turns out, in my lifetime. Most of my most of my adult life was uh, spent while we were a country at war. Whether we felt like that at home or not is irrelevant, because a lot of people paid the price, and some of you did. So well, the two hot wars would be, one, Russia, who we're meddling with when it comes to what's going on in Ukraine. And the second one, and the one that uh, I know Bongino has been concerned about uh, with some of the conversations he and I have had is the one in China. Now, that was uh, the Chinese were the, the sort of the threat that I dealt with when I was working in Washington Field. I'm by no means an expert on it, but I'm familiar with it and potentially more than many people were. Here's the problem with the Chinese that most people don't realize. And this is a totalitarian system. This is a top-down organization. This is a group that, quote-unquote, elects you know, someone who acts as, as though they were a king. Um Many people don't realize what the real root of this problem is when it comes to the the ongoing and, and the increasing threat. And I'm going to switch over here, and I'm going to tie this to something that you have to be aware of to be able to, to accurately discuss this. The one-child policy, which apparently began in uh, the 1970s, ended in 1921. This was under Mao. The one-child policy allowed a limited family-planned situation where they were only going to have one child per family and it led to mass sterilizations it led to a bunch of atrocities let's just be honest about all those things and they're too big and too you could have um tomes written about what they did uh but the the effect was is that there was a a value put on each child being male and the families that generated female children sometimes would kill off the girls which is atrocious um, they claim that it prevented 400 million births. This is still like a, an economy that got still bigger and bigger. But um, the one-child policy is probably one of the nastiest things that could happen because it it put an incentive on having that single child be a male. Well, what's the problem with that? The problem is that you have a bunch of unmarried men who started being born in the in the 70s and only recently stopped. And so you have a top-heavy population. Let's say that that starts at 50, a 50 years old, and then there are many in my age bracket, and then there are many that are younger than me. This is a, a, a group of military-aged men, fifth, let's call it uh, 20 to 50 years old, who are not able to marry and are not going to be able to build families that will support them. So the state is going to be burdened with their care as they moved into the geriatric range over 60, over 65, 70. So they have a a window of probably maybe 10 to 20 years and different people have different arguments about it. But that window 
is how do you deal with excess population when that excess population are men and those men have no families to support themselves? That's a real serious logistical question the Chinese government is currently trying to figure out how to answer. How do you deal with this excess of grown men with no families? Um, they refer to it as a generation of missing women because they literally either aborted, killed, or didn't have females. And the state has to provide. That's what they theoretically do as a communist nation. That's an incredibly dangerous thing. What do you do with excess male populations historically? Like, what's the what is the the mechanism that governments see that that population? How do we deal with these 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 surpluses? And the answer is war, historically, always. And the war that would be the the or the uh, the predicate for this particular war, the thing that would would be the inciting incident is the fact that Joe Biden has not been. Um, sticking to the one China policy, which is to say that China, Taiwan and China are the same thing. Um, he has said that we would defend Taiwan, and that's been kind of a break. This is the advise and consent rule that we have not heard from the Senate. Um, we have not created that treaty where we're going to go do that. This is just a man saying policy that we would defend it, and that's incredibly dangerous when we don't have a formalized treaty because, in theory, they are the same country after the Brits pulled out. So what do you do? What do you do when you have a executive who is not a king, who continues to act like a king, who's going to act unilaterally because that's what's being cheered on by the party? And the real danger, in my opinion, is that when the right, the conservative movement, whether they be a libertarian or a, um, or a Republican, takes that same exact power, they don't exercise it the way that the left does. We have a, a very measured approach, people that want to stay closer to the Constitution, although obviously there's still plenty of overreach and there's plenty of executive orders that are all, as strictly speaking, not the way the system was set up. But there's this desire on the right to play fair and to do things the way that they are designed or closer to that way, and that weakens and cheapens what would maybe otherwise be the... Uh, the ability to exercise that power and the left has no compunction with with going after it they simply simply do that thing all the way um everybody else's hurt feelings be damned i think it's incredibly dangerous it's a it's a scenario that we don't have a, a great mechanism to handle as far as i can tell it doesn't seem like we have a way to to do anything to stop such a thing and we're going to have to figure something out shortly because we're in a, a very close timeline where at some point, one of these things is going to have to give. It's got to give. It has to happen. And if it doesn't, <laughs> we're going to find ourselves in one or two hot wars, both of which seem like the opposite of what uh, we would otherwise want, I think. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Wednesday. It's the middle of the week. That's kind of a lot of heaviness for a middle week. I hope this does not bum you out to a level that you're unable to accomplish your tasks. If you haven't listened to our um, to our long-form interview, check that out. That will bum you out for sure, uh, but I think it'll give you some hope. Uh, Alfredo Alpha Luna, a very good man that we talked to this week, has already got one of the most downloaded episodes that we've done. Uh, a great guy with his own show. He's a great microphone presence. He's got a good booming voice. I'm, I'm more and more listening to voices in my headphones. And, um, and I, there's certain voices that I like to hear more 
And uh, Alpha is one of those guys. I just like listening to his voice. I like what he has to say. We're going to... Uh, we're going to ask you to put your comments in there about whether you knew about the one China policy, whether you knew about the, the fact that we were looking at a war with them because of their surplus population. If you have a chance, please feel free to comment on these things. The, uh, the discussion that can be had in on Rumble, uh, you can leave us a five-star review on, on uh, Apple if that's where you feel like putting it in. But we can have some interaction there. I do actually read all the comments that are on all the Rumble chat. So if you're watching this, or rather, if you're listening to this, and you decide you want to come and weigh in on it, I think we could probably have a robust discussion there. And you can always engage with me on truth or or, um, or Twitter, I'm constantly responding to people that are listening to these things. This is a this is a real serious question that we're going to have to answer. And it and that should be one of the things that we discuss when we elect an executive. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please consider uh, hitting the subscribe button. If you like what you had to hear, we're on Rumble, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you are listening to this podcast, you can share it with a friend if you enjoyed it. Uh, you can share it with 50 if you have so many friends and help us grow this audience. We're really appreciative. Had our highest download on audio uh, on Monday and uh, hoping this week continues to grow. The more that you guys share it, the more it does help us out. It allows us to reach more people and uh, make this thing uh, a more stable enterprise. Uh, we always appreciate your feedback. Once again, comments are great. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts does help us move into the uh, the algorithmic recommendations and uh, more people can find us. So please consider doing that. I've got one pulled up right here. We'll go ahead and read this one. Uh, this one says, oh, the Alpha Luna interview. There you go. From a jarhead hooser. It says, a fascinating and compelling interview between two great Americans. Please keep sharing the truth Semper Fi. Thanks, Jarhead. We do appreciate those. And uh, folks, we uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next one here. Hopefully, if uh, they actually do put out this terrible executive order, we'll bring a couple of people on. I'm thinking we'll probably have Steve Friend on and uh, and possibly Stephen Stambo for the uh, for the Friday show. I got a couple of things I want to run by them, but there's some movement that's happening in the weaponization committee that I think all of you are going to want to know about. And uh, once again, you have been listening to the Kyle Serafin Show. I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show. Be sure to follow him on Twitter and Truth at Kyle Serafin.